I'm going to read Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and a lightning upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the public reading of your word. Lord, I pray that you will add your blessing to this reading and to this teaching this morning. Lord, guard our hearts from laziness. Guard our hearts from apathy. May we be alive in the Spirit to receive all that you have for us. And we ask this in the Beloved's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. So today we begin this new series of Make Jesus Known. And primarily, we're going to be in the book of Matthew. Now, I first of all want to explain the name Jesus Christ. Everybody say Jesus. Okay. Now, Jesus, if it was an English name, would be Joshua. The very popular name of its day. And the word Christ, um, I feel I need to explain this because many people think that Jesus was the son of Mr. and Mrs. Christ. However, it's a title. And Christ means the anointed one. The anointed one. It comes from the Greek word Christos, and it's directly related to the Hebrew word Mashiach, or the Messiah. Um, spending time in Israel, some have said to me that they thought the name Christ meant crucifix or cross. But in fact, it means the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, the Jewish nation at this time were under Roman occupation, and the people of Israel were waiting for a deliverer. The people of Israel were waiting for the Messiah. So who's Matthew? Now, Matthew was a tax collector before he was called to follow Jesus. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, Jesus simply said, follow me. And Matthew quit what he was doing there and then and followed Jesus. Now we're going to go through Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2. The two words to write down is relations and locations. Relations and locations. Now, first of all, you could probably follow this quite well in your Bibles. In Matthew chapter 1, from 1 through 17, we have the relations of Jesus. Now, Matthew opens his gospel 
by showing that Jesus is the Messiah that Israel were hoping for. This is why we have the genealogy. So it begins with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. But look with me in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, back in the book of Genesis, being the first book of the Bible, the Lord had made a promise to Abraham. The promise is in Genesis 22, verse 18. The Lord says, In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, this was understood that through Abraham's seed, that the Messiah, the anointed one, would come. Now, later on, God promised David that one from David's seed would sit upon the throne forever. The scripture is in Isaiah 9-7. I'm abbreviating it. It says, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, from that time forward, even forever. It was understood that from then that the Messiah would also come through the line of King David. You get that? It's a long list to go through if we go through the genealogy one by one. But the genealogy of Jesus in both Matthew and Luke, it does make an interesting study, however it's long. And we're not going to do that this morning, okay? But Matthew is simply showing that Jesus is the long-awaited fulfillment of the promised Messiah. That's what he's demonstrating and showing in the genealogy. But we also must understand that Jesus directly claimed to be the anointed one. We know when Jesus sent out the disciples and they come back and he asked, who is it that man says I am? And some said, well, you're John the Baptist and Elijah, one of the prophets. But who do you say I am? And Simon Bar-Jonah answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus accepted that. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. The flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. But Jesus took and accepted the title of Messiah. Also with the Samaritan woman at the well. She said, we know when Messiah comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said these words, I who speak to you am he. Matthew is demonstrating it. Jesus is declaring it. He is the Messiah. Amen? So now we're going to go through Matthew 1 and 2, and the key word here is fulfillment. Can we say this together? Fulfillment. Okay, we want to look out for three things as we go through these passages. Number one, the work of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the fulfillment of Scripture. And number three, the locations. Now, the work of the Holy Spirit is a supernatural work, number one. Number two, the fulfillment of Scripture, you will hear things or read things like this, that it might be fulfilled, or the Lord spoke by one of his prophets, such and such. And the locations, we're going to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem to Egypt, and then back to Nazareth. So let's look in Matthew chapter 1. 
We're going to go from verse 18 through 25. Now, for a further study of this, and it will be linked in to the video, I would like you to read or listen to the Nativity story, where this is taken on a more thorough study, but today we're just going to survey it. Now, this is the story of Christ born of Mary. Firstly, Mary was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Scripture makes that very clear in verse 18 and verse 20. Now, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. And Joseph is also called the son of David in verse 20, making him a descendant. We find out the reason why Jesus came. Verse 21 says, Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Now, why did this happen? We can speculate. However, the scripture already tells us, verse 22 and verse 23, that it might be fulfilled. This is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The prophecy in Isaiah 7.14, and it reads, and we can see it in uh, Matthew as well, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they should call his name Emmanuel, which is translated what? God with us. So the conclusion of this passage is what is happening is a work of God. Jesus came to save from sin and the scripture is fulfilled. Jesus is called God with us. Now we go to Jesus in Bethlehem. Chapter 2, 1 to 12. Again, this continues in the Nativity story teaching. Firstly, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Now, the reason why it says this, it's very accurate, is because there's more than one Bethlehem. Okay? So it's very accurate. Herod was the king at the time, and the Magi, which was a priesthood of the Medes, had traveled there to Jerusalem to come and worship Jesus. That was their intention of coming. It says here that we come to seek the one who was born king of the Jews. Unlike Herod, Jesus was to be born already a king. Now, why Bethlehem? Um, the emperor, the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, had called for a census. And he wanted all the people in his empire and in his kingdom to be counted. So this census went out. Now, that's the earthly explanation of why Bethlehem, but the supernatural God revelation of why Bethlehem is found in our passage. First of all, for thus is written by the prophet. That's why it happened in Bethlehem. The prophet is Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. And it reads this, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall rule one who will shepherd my people, Israel. Verse 6. That's the reason. The word is fulfillment once again. Now, when the Magi actually got to Jesus, they brought three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's not long being Christmas, is it? So the gold is for the fact that he's a king. The frankincense is that he is a priest. And the myrrh is for his burial, the expected death of the Messiah. Now, they were warned in a dream to flee from Herod, 
They were warned in a dream that there's going to be danger appending, and they were to flee. So the conclusion in this part is, Jesus was born king. Jesus is worthy of worship, and the scriptures are fulfilled. Amen? We all keeping up? You're going to watch the video later. Okay. Now we move on to Jesus in Egypt. Chapter 2, verse 13 to 18. Now at this time, Joseph was warned in a dream that Herod wanted to destroy the child Jesus. Verse 13. Joseph also was told to flee Egypt, and he did so. He took the whole family, himself, Mary, and Jesus, and they fled by night into Egypt. Now, how long were they in Egypt for, and why were they in Egypt? Well, again, it's fulfillment. Okay. The prophecy is in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. How long were they there for? Let's have a look. They were there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken of through the law by one of the prophets, saying, Out of Egypt I call my son. It's a double fulfillment of prophecy. Now, in the meantime, while all of this was happening, Herod went crazy. Why is this? Because he told the Magi to bring word back to him where Jesus was so he could worship Jesus. I don't think that was his real intention to do with Jesus, but he wanted word back. Now, Herod had ordered all male children, two years and under, to be put to death. We can see that in verse 16. Now, why is this? Verse 17 tells us. Because then it was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, in verse 18, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. From Jeremiah 31, verse 15. Herod had murdered the children, but he had failed to kill the deliverer. I'm sure you can see the links there between the Pharaoh and Moses. Yeah, You can see the echo from the past where the children have tried to be destroyed and cut out. The conclusion of all of this is that God is in control and man is not. And Scripture will be fulfilled. Amen? Comes to the last part. This is Jesus in Nazareth, chapter 2, verse 19 to 23. Now, Joseph is told in a dream, take Jesus and Mary back to Israel, now that Herod is dead. Now, Nazareth is where Joseph and Mary actually met. This is where they lived before Joseph was called back to his hometown, which was Bethlehem, to sign up for the census. Now, this isn't the only reason why they went back to Nazareth from Egypt. The reason is that it might be fulfilled. Verse 23 says, He, Jesus, shall be called a Nazarene. Now, this has baffled people. People are like, well, where is that in the Old Testament? Can't really find it. 
Which prophet said this? Now, the most favored Old Testament passage is found in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. You have to pay attention to this. I'll read it for you. Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. Verse, first verse says, Then shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Jesse was David's father. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now, this word branch in Hebrew is nitzar. Nitzar. And it's very close to the name of Nazareth. So they think that the link is here is that he is showing that out of Jesse came David and from David would come the Messiah, which is the branch, which is the Nitzar. And if you look at the second verse, it will make sense. Because the second verse in Isaiah 11 speaks of the Messiah. It says this, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Amen? It's got to be about the Messiah. It's a messianic passage. So the conclusion here is Jesus is the deliverer from Egypt. Jesus is the branch of David. And Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the Messiah. And all God's people said, Amen. And praise God I got for it. Thank you for your attention. Now we're going to get in the message. We got that? We're all experts now. Listen back, take it in. It's one of the hardest things to do is to go back and try and um, get out the essence of what the two passages are showing because they're so rich. And the more I studied, the more I read, the more kind of way out there. Because the Lord is so intricate. It's like almost we read our Bibles in 2D, but it's 10D. It's multidimensional. It's, it's an amazing work. And there's no way that this book that we have can be of man. Absolutely. The more I study it, Somewhat, the less I know. However, now let's have a look in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to read three verses and then we get into today's message. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Amen. Now, today's message is called God with us. But first of all, the question is, who is John the Baptist? Well, the first thing about John is not a Baptist. He's not a Presbyterian. He's not an Anglican. He's not even a member of Calvary Chapel, Cambridge. But he is a baptizer. And John is there at the Jordan baptizing people by immersion for the remission of their sin. Now, Jesus and John were related. And we don't know, is it first cousin or second cousin? However, Jesus and John are related. You remember they first meet each other in their mum's bellies? One of them jumps for joy. That was John. And John's going to jump for joy again when he sees Jesus very soon. Now, John was from a priestly line. He was a Levite. Uh, and this is the reason why people went out into the wilderness to listen to John, because John had authority. The religious people in, in Jerusalem knew he had authority. They knew who his dad was. They knew he was from a priestly line. So they went out to question John. And they asked him, who are you? Who are you out here 
with your big beard in the wilderness, preaching, calling people to repent. Are you the Christ? He confessed. He did not deny. He says, I am not the Christ. John chapter 1. And they asked him, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet? I'm not any of it. I'm just this voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now, the reason why the religious people are asking, are you Elijah? is because they were expecting Elijah to come before the Lord. They were expecting Elijah to arrive before the coming of the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. Now, it's interesting that Elijah must come before the Messiah. If we look in verse 4, it says, Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Now he looked like Elijah. He probably smelt like Elijah, and he's hot and sweaty in the wilderness like Elijah. And he's calling people to repentance. Why is John not accepting this? Well, I can't just put it on John that he is Elijah just because of how he's dressed. I put the pressure on John that he is Elijah because Jesus says he was. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 14, Jesus said to those who couldn't receive it, John is the Elijah who is to come. He is my forerunner. You go, wow, that's amazing. He is Elijah. The people sat with Jesus. Well, this is amazing. But anyone with any sense would say, that means you're the Christ, the son of the living God. So Jesus, by saying that, that John is Elijah, is also saying that he is the one who is prophesied to come. Now, why did he deny it? That is not Elijah. Listen, any true prophet of God never blows his own trumpet. He only blows the trumpet for the Lord. Amen? Anyone who starts running around saying, I'm a prophet, I'm a prophet, you can probably guarantee they're not a prophet. And John is humble and lowly. It's what Matthew tells us about John's mission. Look in verse 3. Matthew 3, verse 3. It says, This is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John is ready in the road for a sure and certain arrival of someone great. The language here used in the Greek is that of a religious festival procession going down the street. He's making it clear. He's moving anyone aside and making a pathway for the Lord. But John says something else about the one who is coming after him. And John makes it very clear. That he is not the light, but he's pointing to the light. This is what he says. John says, he who is coming after me is, verse 11, mightier than I. John says, the one who is coming after me will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. John says, the one coming after me is preferred before me. John chapter 1, verse 27. Now the word preferred here means he existed. The one who is coming after me existed before me, even though I'm older by six months than Jesus. Now listen very carefully. John says he is preparing the way of the Lord. The verse is taken from the prophet Isaiah 
And the word Lord there is Yahweh. The personal name of God. And it means this. The existing one. Existed before me. I am preparing the way for the existing one. To put it simply, John is saying this. God is coming to you. He's making it very clear. I'm here doing my bit, but the one who's coming after me is mightier than I. I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit and existed before me. God is coming to you. Therefore, repent. Therefore, repent. Now, who is he saying this to? It's very important. Then it was the Jewish people, including the religious people. Verse 7, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Probably the religious people, you and I, are going to be needing to repent before anyone else. Because we're the ones claiming to know God. And John is speaking to Israel. This is your God. This is the one you say is your God whom you worship, who you honor or should be. Repent because he's coming to you first. Judgment begins in the household of God. Therefore, get yourself right, especially the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, Andy and myself. Get ourselves right for the Lord is coming. But how about today? Who does this speak to today? Well, everyone. Everyone. For God is coming to everyone. And when he comes, every eye will see him. God is coming to everyone. Acts chapter 17 verse 30 says this. Truly the times of ignorance God overlooked. He's overlooked all the ignorance, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. All men, very inclusive, this God, everywhere to repent. Why? Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has lied or stolen or maybe lied about stealing or cheated in one way or another. There are no exceptions. And if God is a just God, he's going to have to judge sin. However, as it was then, as it is today, he has mercy and calls his people to call out and cry out in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. All of, this, all of us say this. Unfortunately, when you hear many things and messages, or healings or whatever else on, on YouTube and things. Very rarely do you hear about repentance. What do I need? Oh, accept Jesus into your life. But the prophets are saying and the scriptures are saying you need to repent. You need to repent of this. And what repentance is, is more than feeling sorry for yourself. It's more than crying, oh God, I'm sorry. I've done this to you. It's more than that. For the non-religious, I would say this. You have to turn, we know the saying, 180, back to God or to God for the first time, to the non-believer. I would say repentance, though, for the religious is this. Very simple. Quit your rebellion. I have to quit my rebellion. Now, every one of you, you may be religious, but you can be a religious rebel who knows the truth of Christ, who knows what's expected of you, and you're not doing it. I'm sure every one of us has been guilty at some stage. I know certainly I have. I don't stand here pointing my finger at just everyone here, but myself first. You can be a religious rebel, a religious rebel Christian 
who knows what you should be doing and what's expected and refuse to do it. That's a sin of omission. Leaving out what God has called you to. And repentance is this. is a decision of your will. I know so much emotionalism in the church today. Well, I don't feel like this, or I feel God is saying this, or I feel that. The decisions you make must be one of your will and not emotions. Don't be led by your emotions. Um, we have emotions because we've got a soul, I hope. We're emotional people. But don't be led by that. That shouldn't be what governs you. What should be governing you is God's word. Amen? He says this, but the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is the spiritual realm over which God reigns as king. That's why you have to submit every area of your life that God reigns. Now, our response is this, to repent, submit to God, and allow him to rule in your life. When you do this, he pours out a blessing on you. Um, I don't know exactly what the blessing looks like. It might be different for different people. But I can just certainly say in my life where I've been a rebellious Christian, where I eventually give up the thing the Lord's been telling me to give up for 10 years, and I give it up, and then suddenly a blessing comes. And the only regret I have is, why didn't I do that 10 years ago? See, you want to hold on so much to your life. You say, well, I've got Christ and this. The Lord saying, just let it all go. Let me reign. Because my plan actually is better than yours. Remember, my plan was to stay single. That was it, wasn't it? God had a better plan. Did you have Chelsea? And Teddy? And furniture? And curry every night? But seriously, we think that we can rule God. But God knows best. Let me also say this. God is a provider. He provides. Where you submit, you think, well, I can't do this. If I submit to that, then I won't have the money. I won't have this and that. God said, don't worry about that. I'm Jehovah Jireh. I provide everything for you. It's scary because the only way you can know this is when you submit to God. There's no other way. Now, God's response when we submit is this. The forgiveness of sin, to become a child of God, and receive the Holy Spirit, Spirit that you may be empowered, that you can live out the Christian life you're called to. But he can't give you that unless you submit. You go first. I go first. And then God responds to that. Amen? Is that true? I've been a rebellious Christian. I'll admit it here. Um, where I think, well, I'm going to take control of this area. God can have certain areas in my life, but not all of them. But God's ways are better than ours, aren't they? They really are. It sounds cliche, but let me tell you, they, they really are. Now, John the Baptist, he baptizes Jesus. Look in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? Now, why is this? John tried to prevent him. Why? Because John, well, let me say this. John was definitely a holy man. John was definitely hearing from God. And when John saw Jesus, he knew he was. He knew immediately who Jesus was and about his life and the life he's going to lead. Why? Because it's already written. 
John knew the scriptures. And it's very important for all of us to learn the scriptures. So when he saw him, he knew who he was. Let me just say this. Hebrews 4.15 says, Jesus was tempted as we are, yet without sin. 1 Peter 1.19 said that Jesus was without blemish and without spot. 1 John 3.5 says, in him, Jesus, there is no sin. Nothing at all. So why does he need to be baptized? I think the answer is found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Now, I'm going to read it from you. This is um, a paraphrase. It's from the New Living Translation. But it can also be found very similar in J.B. Phillips' translation of the New Testament, who's a well-noted Greek scholar. The Greek language is kind of hard because it's many things are inferred. But I believe this to be accurate. So Philippians chapter 2, 6 and 7. Listen carefully. Though, talking of Jesus, he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on a humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. I want to read that again. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He didn't need to grasp to that. Why? Because he was God. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges took on the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Let me explain this. This is the incarnation. This is the virgin birth. This is Emmanuel, God with us. This is the explanation. Don't forget who's writing this and inspired by this. The Apostle Paul is coming to this conclusion. He's a man who was steeped in Scripture. But once he was empowered with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was inspiring him and showing him that Jesus was the Messiah and he is divine. Now, back to John the Baptist. Oh, that's wonderful. Verse 15. But Jesus answered and said to him about his baptism, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. John understood that Jesus had come as the example. And Jesus had come as the example of how to live a Christian life, a life of obedience. John understood it. Jesus is not only the example, but he's personal. He's relational. And he wants to identify, listen to this, with his creation. The creator is coming down in the form of a man, born of a woman, simply to relate to his creation and of course, we find out later, to die in our place. This is a relational God. Amen? See, all other faiths, all of them, are trying to work something up to God. Where the Christian faith, God comes down and dwells with us. And for those who receive him, dwells in us. Dwells with us and in us. This is mind-boggling, isn't it? There's a man in Singapore, he's a philosopher, and he was given the New Testament to study it. And the Christian asked him, what did you find? He said, well, it's absolutely amazing, you're God. And he said, well, what, what did you find? Is it the miracles? Is it the feeding of 4,000, the casting out of demons? What is it? He says, your God 
comes to live in you. You're all looking at me very blank-faced. We know that, James. But do you believe it? That's the question. Do you believe that God is in you? Do you know that God is dwelling in you? And that there is a, a God-gaping hole in everyone who doesn't know him? There's a gap there. I always think of it when I go to London where it says, mind the gap. People have a gap to Jesus' hole that they've got. They're trying to fill it with everything else. But brothers and sisters, we must realize that he come to dwell with us and he's now dwelling in us. Everyone say amen. amen. This is a beautiful picture. Look in verse 16. Now when he, Jesus, had been baptized, he came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and a lightning upon him, and suddenly a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. As in the creation, now in the recreation, the Godhead is involved. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit wonderfully hovering over the waters, just like in the beginning. Now it's like God's coming down to do it all again. To dwell with men and in men and to lead us. This is very powerful. People have argued, even Christians, about the deity of Christ. Is he divine and everything else? Let me read you from Colossians chapter 1, what the Apostle Paul says. He says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. By him, all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. He is above all things and in him, all things consist. I mean, that's quite final from the Apostle Paul, isn't it? The writer of Hebrews says that he, Jesus, upholds all things by the word of his power. And John says, and the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The realization of the divinity of Messiah, the realization of the divine coming down to dwell with his creation. For those who are entering into his kingdom will dwell there forever and ever with our God. Are you happy about that this morning? may not be a revelation to you, but it might be a, a new revelation. Something that we must ponder. God is with us. Jesus come to fulfill the scriptures. Jesus came from a royal line as Messiah. Jesus came from heaven and stepped down. Jesus came as an example to lead the way. Simply, didn't he say, follow me, imitate me. Jesus made it possible to follow him by empowering us with the Holy Spirit. Jesus laid down his life as a sacrifice, as atonement, an offering for our sin. And Jesus made himself known to his creation. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? Beloved, do you know him? Do you know him this morning? Is he really the Lord of your life? Is he really governing 
every area. Is he king, truly? Or are we, am I, are we still living as if it's some theological, intellectual information? God is with us. Can we say that? God is with us. The reality of this. And the fact that you know this. And God has made it possible. And there's so many out there who have no idea. But the writers of the New Testament and the Holy Spirit that's dwelling in you this morning is confirming it. Is confirming it. Let's stand. Uh, Brother David, if I can ask you. I just want to pray. Just spend some time in prayer. If you just stand. Can't believe I did that in 45 minutes. Three chapters of Matthew. You're now all theologians. But let me pray. Father, I want to pray for everyone here, myself. That, Lord, this revelation becomes more of a reality in our lives. That your beloved Son come and dwell among his people. And now comes to dwell in us. And we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that we are more and more governed by him. Convict us, Lord of where we have some wrongs in our life. May we submit those, Lord, where you can make those wrongs right. Lord, we want to receive the blessing, but sometimes it's so hard to let go of our lives. Lord, we want to cling to it. But Lord, we know deep down that our need is for you to reign. Maybe some of you just want to ask the Lord just privately, quietly to come and reign in the areas of your life which you haven't submitted to. Could be in your personal life. Could be in your time. You should be spending the time in prayer or speaking with Him and conversing with Him, but you're missing out. It's not to condemn, it's to show you that the Lord He has a blessing for you. Maybe there's some of you that needs to, to repent. Where that rebellious air in your religious life needs to be laid down. John tells us that Jesus was manifested to take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. Lord, I pray for myself and everyone here. Lord, that you will, through this series in our lives from this day forth, make yourself known more and more to every one of us. Lord, give us understanding of the scriptures. Fill everyone's inner man with the Holy Spirit. That gap, Lord, fill that. May we be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
May our lives be pleasing to you, Lord. Let you two will say those words. This is my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. May our service unto you, Lord, be pleasing in your sight. Father, we ask this in the Messiah's name. Amen and amen.